Hello and welcome to the Fantasy Jones Podcast, where we show off our enthusiasm and, well, Jones for fantasy sports to help you win your league. Now let's Jones some fantasy. Welcome to the Fantasy Jones. I'm Carlos Marion, and I'm here with Frank Amarante, our fantasy expert. Frank, how are you doing on this beautiful Sunday? Oh, very good, very good. We're inching closer to the season. It's an exciting time of year. We're getting so many new uh, tidbits from camp. It's it's just a real fun time. We're almost the season just fast approaching. It's an awesome time. Yeah, we just got our first taste of NFL action on on Thursday with you know, the Cowboys and Steelers. Wasn't really that much of an exciting game as preseason usually is. You might watch the first quarter or so, but it's still NFL football and it gets us going. Right, Frank? Oh, yeah. Great to just see them, even though it's a meaningless game. It's just nice to see them on the field suited up. Just football's here, baby. Yeah. And today's episode, we're going to introduce you to our rankings. Frank has been steadily working on them. They are now available on the fantasyjones.com and they will be edited every week or so. Today, we're going to look at some adjustments that are coming in this week's ranks. There's been a flurry of news that have major fantasy implications, but let's start at quarterback. Now, a couple of weeks ago, when the rankings came out, you had Trey Lance as the QB 30. As QB 30. Now, Frank, what's it looking like with Trey Lance? Well, just to start it off, when I made my edit of, of the quarterbacks, my most recent one, I realized that I wasn't putting enough emphasis on quarterback rushing. And that's that's what really spearheaded my change in ranks. So to start it off is Trey, with Trey Lance. Number one is that he's going when he's when he comes into play, he has mega upside QB. He has top 10, maybe even top five fantasy quarterback upside just because of the team context. You got a great uh, offensive mind in Cal Shanahan. You have nice weapons with Brandon Ayuk, George Kittle, Debo Samuel, and an awesome running game. And you have a quarterback with all the tools and athleticism and the speed to make an impact on the ground. And I bumped him up because of that and because he's looking fantastic in training camp and it's becoming more and more likely that he's, if not, if he doesn't start week one, it's going to happen soon. And I bumped him all the way to quarterback 14 for his mouthwatering upside. It just reflects the way that I really put an emphasis and increased emphasis on quarterback rushing because once Lance gets in, this guy is going to be taking off on a consistent basis. He's going to be very exciting. Even if he doesn't start in week one, and even if you're in more of a shallow format with one quarterback, I would really suggest drafting Trey Lance as your backup and maybe pairing him with a veteran like Cam Newton, who also will give you make an impact on the ground because you can just hang, uh, you can just have Newton uh, hold down the fort until Trey Lance takes over. And it's only a matter of time. And when he does, it's going to be a sight to behold. He's going to be a fantasy stud. We also have to think about the, the 49ers' strength of schedule. They have far and away the easiest schedule in football, according to Sharp Football. I mean, week one, they play the Detroit Lions. Uh, 
They've got games against the Texans. They got games against, you know, the Jaguars, the Vikings, the Bengals, the Falcons, the Titans, like so many matchups that are going to be uh, opportunities for Trey Lance to really stretch his legs and make an impact on the ground. And he's very exciting right now. I don't even mind if he doesn't start week one. Like I said, it's a matter of when, not if. So I'm really bumping him up in my rankings at quarterback 14. And if we find out that he's starting week one, I would put him as high as quarterback 11 ahead of Tom Brady, just because of that rushing upside. Yeah, you made a great point with, you know, pairing him with Cam Newton, a player like that who has a starting job, who may get it lost with Mac Jones, but all the reports from camp are glowing so far. He looks like he's ready to go. And Trey Lance is really showing out, obviously. Uh, John Lynch had to go on Sirius XM to kind of, you know, put water on all the all the fire from training camp and say that, you know, Jimmy, Jimmy Garoppolo is playing the best training camp he's ever seen. But Frank, we have another quarterback that is on a new team and you had him at Q, you had him at QB nine. Now, Matt Stafford, you say he's fallen in your ranks. Where's he going? Well, I've bumped him down to QB 12. I know he's we, we talked about it on the show that he's in a great context with Coach McVay. He's got a nice receiving core with. Cooper Cup and Robert Woods and the running game should remain strong even without Cam Akers it's just going back to what I said about really emphasizing quarterback rushing and Matthew Stafford obviously he doesn't run at all so it, I bumped up Jalen Hurts and that came at Matthew Stafford's expense and you know since we've talked to, since I released these rankings Aaron Rodgers it's been confirmed that he's back with the Packers so I had to bump uh, Rogers over Stafford and then looking at strength of schedule and the fact that Tom Brady already has established chemistry with his new weapons I had to put Brady over Stafford as well like the Bucks get the Cowboys and Falcons in the first two weeks Brady's going to come out roaring and I really that's another thing which we'll get into later in the show is that I, it's really important to get off to a strong start in fantasy football so it's a little underrated a little underrated factor is their early season strength of schedule. Like it, Brady against the Cowboys, he's likely going to just pick them apart in week one. He could really help you get off to that one and oh start. That's so important. And Hey, let's say if Brady tears it up the first four weeks, that's going to cause his value to go up. And maybe you can trade him for a Stafford who then would have his string of good matchups. So it's all about, that kind of game theory and thinking about what your competitors uh, will think of a player. Like if Brady, for example, got hot off to a hot streak and going back to the quarterback rushing, I wanted to add one thing. I mentioned Cam Newton as a nice veteran to uh, play. If you draft someone like Trey Lance or even Justin Fields, Cam Newton, we know how few touchdowns he threw last year. He threw eight touchdowns with 10 interceptions. That's as ugly as it gets. Guess where he finished in quarter in fantasy points per game among quarterbacks who played 10 games at least. He finished 16th. So he, he was as bad as possible as a passer, but he still finished 16th in points per game. That just shows you how huge of an impact quarterback rushing yards can be. 
because he ran for 592 yards and 12 touchdowns. I mean, it's going to be hard for him to repeat 12 touchdowns, but you got to think his passing touchdowns will improve with the weapon upgrades with Jonu Smith, Hunter Henry, Nelson Aguilar, and he's still going to be a, a, a presence in the red zone. So Cam Newton is the perfect veteran to, to pair with Trey Lance or Justin Fields. Going on to Justin Fields, that's another player who is tearing up and tearing it up in training camp. And I've moved him to quarterback 20 because like Lance, he can run as well. Fields is a better passer than Lance, but he has worse weapons in Chicago and he doesn't run as much as Lance does. He doesn't have that type of upside in terms of running, but he still can run, say, four or five hundred yards, maybe even more. So that's why I have him as quarterback 20, even though it's not confirmed that he's starting yet. And lastly, before we move on to another position, I just wanted to say another player that I bumped up because of quarterback rushing, and that's Taysom Hill, another player. We don't know if he's starting, but if he does, he is a good fantasy quarterback because of his running. You look at his four starts last year, He, I tweeted it out. He finished in the top 12 in each of his four starts. So this is a player who, if he plays, he will make a fantasy impact. And he's going late right now. So the theme of quarterback in my updated ranks is just emphasizing quarterback rushing ability. Yeah, get those free and easy points. Anyway, moving on to running backs, we have a riser. Now, we all know this man. He's This is half-point PPR, by the way. And Frank, you had Nick Chubb, Chubb as your 10th running back. Now, you had him in Tier 2. Currently, this rise, does this push him up into your first tier of running backs? It doesn't push him to the first tier right now. I have the first tier is just uh, Christian McCaffrey, Dalvin Cook, Alvin Kamara, and Derrick Henry. But it puts him close to the top of the second tier. And the reason I bumped Nick Chubb is because, for one, he's a special runner. He's He was the um, among the leaders in fantasy uh, in rushing yards above expectation which you can find on pro football focus and what that stat is is they kind of determine uh which running backs are able to do more with less and nick chubb was one of the best at that he was among the leaders in yards after contact like he could break tackles evade defenders he's explosive he could take it to the house he's one of the best pure runners in the nfl so that's one reason the second reason is the browns have quite possibly the best offensive line in the NFL. They're returning all five starters to a line that was fantastic last year. With that uh, continued uh, improved chemistry, you got to think they'll remain one of the best. And this is a run-heavy offense under head coach Kevin Stefanski. So even though Kareem Hunt is there, this is Nick Chubb's backfield. He's still going to get around 18 touches per game. And the Browns' offense... I think is going to be one of the best in the NFL. Baker Mayfield down the stretch last year really played well. He just showed significant improvements as a passer. Now they get Odell Beckham back, giving them that deep threat that they didn't have last year. They have another young receiver, Donovan Peoples-Jones, who's showing out in camp, who's another deep threat that's going to help out the offense. There's just tons of weapons here. They are going to score a lot of points. Nick Chubb is going to be a beneficiary there. He's a virtual lock for double-digit touchdowns. This is one of the safest running backs you can pick in the first round. And I didn't even get into their schedule. 
Week one, they take on the Chiefs, who are not a very good run defense. Week two, they're 14-point favorites at home to the Houston Texans. Nick Chubb is going to absolutely feast in that matchup. So he starts off the season with great matchups. He's going to start off hot. And this is just, I know a lot of fantasy players uh, shy away from Nick Chubb, especially in PPR formats, just because he doesn't catch passes. But last year, he's, Chubb still finished as RB7, or I believe it was RB, yes, RB7 in PPR points per game last year. So his running ability makes him still a factor in those formats. And I just love the security that he brings with taking him in the first round, which is why I bumped him to seventh on my uh, top running backs. Yeah, in between the tackles, there's not many better than Nick Chubb, right? So our our faller in running backs, now we've heard a lot of things, you know, especially from Prashtadamas. You know, he came on the show and he let us know what's going to happen with this player this year. But you tend to take a step back now. You you don't you don't think that Jonathan Taylor is going to be RB1 anymore, do you, Frank? No, I don't. And it pains me to say this. I mean, I was beating this drum since the Colts and Bills playoff game last year when Jonathan Taylor was showing out. Uh, I, I really thought he was going to totally pop off this year and finish as the RB1 because he showed that he was a special runner last year. He ran for over 700 yards in his last six games. And the Colts' offensive line was looking strong. I thought they were going to be run heavy. But here's the thing. They've lost Quinton Nelson, their best offensive lineman. So that's going to throw a wrench into their plans. Like, he's their best run blocker. That's going to make it harder for Jonathan Taylor to uh, eat up yardage. Secondly, Obviously, they lost Carson Wentz. Now he might be back week four, but when you're drafting in the first round, you're taking a player there. You want someone who just doesn't have any risks at all in their profile. I don't want to be taking a player who is recovering from injury. I don't want to be taking a running back who has like Jacob Eason as a starting quarterback. You look at their schedule too. They're home to the Seahawks, and that's a good run defense. They are after that, they take on none other than the LA Rams and Aaron Donald. Where are they going there when they have Jacob Eason starting? So it's just a bad start to the season. I had to downgrade Jonathan Taylor and I had to acknowledge the fact that, hey, you know, I'm not always right. Sometimes I could be a little bit over the top with my thinking. And I start to look at it and I see how they still like Naheem Hines. And Marlon Mack is not on the pup list, so his recovery is going better than his recovery from an Achilles injury has gone better than what I had expected. So Jonathan Taylor, he should still see 18 to 20 touches per game. It just those it was a combination of me recognizing that I was probably over aggressive on him with the loss of Carson Wentz and the loss of Quinton Nelson and the tough schedule in the early going. I still like Jonathan Taylor as my RB8, but I had to downgrade him there, no doubt. It also had to do with the upgrade I made to Aaron Jones, who now gets Aaron Rodgers back, obviously, and they got rid of Jamal Williams. What did Jamal Williams do? Well, he ate into Aaron Jones's usage in the passing game. A.J. Dillon, as good of a runner as he is, he's not going to catch many passes. So you have to think Aaron Jones is going to see 
an increased role in the passing game. So that's why I bumped him over Jonathan Taylor. And the rest of them are pretty self-explanatory. You know, Christian McCaffrey looks healthy. He's a consensus number one. Dalvin Cook is with an improved offensive line in Minnesota. Alvin Kamara and now Michael Thomas is out. So that outweighs any concerns you we might have had about Taysom Hill capping the usage in the receiving game because Alvin Kamara is their de facto number one wide receiver now. Derrick Henry, obviously, I have to put him over him. They got Julio Jones now. That's going to be a great offense. Then you have Zeke. He's healthy with Dak. He's motivated. He's in shape. I couldn't justify putting Taylor over him either. So Jonathan Taylor, I still like to target him. Sometimes he falls in the second round, but he's my RB8 now. I'm I'm recognizing that I needed to downgrade him from RB1, and, and I adapt with the times. I don't stubbornly stick to my take just to say, oh, look, I told you so. When there's changes in team context, I make I make the move. So I'm always pivoting, and that's the way you should be, always ready to adapt. Yeah, it's good that you admit that because you have to learn every day and things change every day. And especially with this sport, people get injured every second. Opportunities come up that you were saying with Marlon Mack, they're still, you know, he's back in a, in a better shape than you expected back in April, right? So things change. It's a shame there's people out there that, you know, clout chase, tell you, I told you so. And think that people want to hear that as if like, oh, thank God. I, thank God I listened to this guy, this random guy on, on uh, Twitter. So <laughs> anyway, Frank, we're on to the wide receivers. Now we have a riser, only a couple spots, but you feel that a great season is coming from A.J. Brown. Yes. So coming into the year, before the Titans traded for Julio Jones, I had A.J. Brown as my overall wide receiver one, as the best wide receiver. And that was because they were losing Corey Davis and they were losing Jonu Smith and they replaced him with jo- they replaced them with Josh Reynolds. So I thought A.J. Brown was going to get absolutely filled with targets. But then they got Julio Jones and that made me downgrade A.J. Brown to around wide receiver seven-ish around there. And I realized that I was wrong in that. And I'll tell you why. For one... Obviously, Julio Jones is going to help A.J. Brown because he's going to draw away defenders. This is still a stud receiver, even though he's in his early 30s. Number two, if we look at the target share for the Titans last year, A.J. Brown had a 26% target share. Corey Davis had a 23% target share. That's high. That's a high number. And Julio Jones could just step into that target share and not really affect A.J. Brown's as much as I was thinking. So that's another reason that I was kind of uh, putting too much of an emphasis on Julio taking away targets. We also have to acknowledge that now that the Titans have two, two absolute studs on the perimeter in Brown and Julio, you have to think they're going to pass the ball more. So there'll be more uh, opportunities for targets for A.J. Brown. And last year, you know, he finished top five and half PPR points per game. This is an absolute monster of a wide receiver who in both of his seasons has averaged over 10 yards per target. So if he gets 100, last year he had 106 targets in 14 games. If he gets over 130 targets at a 16-game pace this year, with the way that he's such a playmaker with his 10 yards per target, that's already like 1,300 yards right there when you do the math. And 
when you factor in how much of a presence he is in the red zone, like remember that touchdown he scored against the Ravens. He's like breaking. He had like five players draped on him and he's just forcing his way into the end zone. This guy is a monster. And so for that reason, I bumped him aggressively all the way to wide receiver five. I even prefer taking AJ Brown over DeAndre Hopkins. Now I love Hopkins, a great route runner. He can make plays after the catch. He's got amazing hands. But I prefer going with the young, explosive, just absolute beast in A.J. Brown. Yeah, so now that, you know, A.J. Brown's in your top five, someone has to fall out of that top five. Tell me why DeAndre Hopkins is now your wide receiver eight. The reason for this, for DeAndre Hopkins, it has less to do with Hopkins himself and more to do with A.J. Brown, who I mentioned, but also Justin Jefferson who as a rookie, we see he put up 1,400 yards. You look at like his last eight games, he was clearly the top target on the team. Way more, uh, He had a higher target share than Adam Thielen. I believe Justin Jefferson's target share in the last seven, eight games was around 28%, which would have been among the league leaders. And this is a special player who you usually, this is another thing that I've learned from talking to people on Twitter, from reading content. There's a guy named Drew is his uh, Twitter handle is at DF bean counter. I believe it is. And what he really emphasizes is that targets are earned and that year two wide receivers really break out. That's a common theme. And Jefferson as a rookie, he earned those targets. He's an amazing route runner he graded out very well at, get, uh, at beating man coverage he's a special player so you you could see him even you know come close or even eclipse last year's totals and you got to think he gets even more catches because let's recall early in the year week one and two he was a non-factor he was he started the year behind uh ola bc johnson so it took him time to get rolling now he's the clear-cut number one in many so I have to put him over DeAndre Hopkins. I think this is an ascending player, and he's a special, special talent. The other reason I bumped DeAndre Hopkins because I got a little higher on DK Metcalf, another beast similar to A.J. Brown in that he's just got a phenomenal physique. He's a prototypical alpha receiver with that size and speed and able to, ability to get downfield. And you look at his early career production last year, 1300 yards and 10 touchdowns in year two and now the Seahawks have hired from the Rams Shane Waldron as their offensive coordinator and Waldron the talk in camp has been how much faster he wants the Seahawks to play and what that means when you play faster more plays which means more targets which means more opportunities for yards and touchdowns so you factor all that in and you have a young stud who will have more volume and that's why I have to put him over Hopkins. One more thing. Shane Waldron wants to emphasize more shorter and intermediate uh, passing uh, routes, routes for his receivers, which is good because then Metcalf can get more catches underneath and just add up to those reception totals. So that's just another reason why I bumped Hopkins down. It's just that had more to do with how much I like A.J. Brown, Justin Jefferson, and DK Metcalf. Fair enough. Now we're on to the tight ends. Well, this is going to be a slight adjustment here. There's a few tight ends in the top five, top six here. And right now you had 
Mark Andrews as tight end five in the original rankings, and now you want to bump him up a bit. Why is that? So the reason I want to bump up Mark Andrews is because he's just much more proven than I know Kyle Pitts is a unicorn. He's a freak. He's a stud. He's a, a he has a pristine prospect profile. But Mark Andrews last year, he finished as tight end four in PPR points per game. If you look at uh, 2019, Mark Andrews finished uh, as tight end six in PPR points per game. If we look at half PPR, he did even better because he gets less catches. He gets more yards downfield. So this is a, a, a tight end with already two top six seasons under his belt. Uh, he he wasn't even that good last year, and he still finished at that rank. Like, recall that Mark Andrews struggled with drops a lot last season. And despite that, if you look at his usage, he finished with a 24.86% target share, which was third among tight ends behind Darren Waller and Travis Kelsey. So he is the number one wide receiver in this Ravens offense. And the Ravens are planning to pass it more this year. They signed Sammy Watkins. They drafted Rashad Bateman and they drafted Tylen Wallace. I know Rashad Bateman is a stud who profiles as their future wide receiver one, but it's a rookie we're talking about here. Andrews is still going to be the top target with his established rapport already with Lamar Jackson. So you factor that in, you factor in the fact that he's the top target and hey, Kyle Pitts is not. Calvin Ridley is in Atlanta. Kyle Pitts is the number two. I know people will say Atlanta is a pass-heavy team. They're going to pass it more than Baltimore. Well, it's true they'll pass it more than Baltimore. You got to think that they don't pass it as frequently as they did last season because they lost Julio Jones, and, you know, it's really not advisable to just air it out as often as that as they did last year when you have Calvin Ridley and Olamide Zacchaeus as your wide receivers and just engage. I know Kyle Pitts is there, but you got to think maybe they'll they'll run it a little bit more this year, especially with new head coach Arthur Smith coming from Tennessee, where they were one of the more run-heavy teams in the league. Not saying Atlanta is going to be run-heavy, just saying that they're going to likely run it a little bit more than what they have in the last two years. So you combine that, and I got to go with Mark Andrews over Kyle Pitts. He's more proven. Also, we were talking about strength of schedule and how important it is to get off to a flying start in your fantasy league. Look at this Ravens schedule. Week one against the Las Vegas Raiders and that Swiss cheese defense. Week two against the Kansas City Chiefs and what will be a shootout where the Ravens will have to keep pace. Andrews will have opportunities there. Week three, he faces the Detroit Lions, which have one of the worst defenses in the NFL. So you have three plus matchups there for Andrews where he could get off to a flying start. And I'm really using that early season strength of schedule as a tiebreaker. So that's why I bumped Mark Andrews to my tight end four. So with all this movement, where does that leave Kyle Pitts? So with Kyle Pitts, love the talent like we've talked about, but I had to bump him down to tight end six behind even TJ Hawkinson. Now, why is that? I will tell you why. Last year in TJ Hawkinson's second year, TJ Hawkinson last year finished among tight ends who played at least 10 games. 
he finished as tight end six in PPR points per game. Now, let's not forget that Hawkinson, in his own right, was a good prospect. He went eighth overall. So in his second year, last year, he caught 67 passes for 723 yards and six touchdowns. He had 101 targets. In year three, he's now the de facto wide receiver one in Detroit. Marvin Jones is now in Jacksonville. Kenny Galladay is now with the Giants. TJ Hawkinson's the man there. And new quarterback, Jared Goff, we've seen him pepper his tight end with targets. Let's remember back at the end of the season, 2019, when Gerald Everett was out, Tyler Higby just went absolutely nuts. So TJ Hawkinson is going to get a ton of targets, and, and it's just a safer pick than Kyle Pitts, who's a rookie. I still love Pitts, but I got to lean towards Hawkinson there. All right, that wraps up our rank review. But I wanted to ask you a couple of questions about some running backs, two veteran running backs that you're starting to see the appeal with, you were telling me before. And those are Melvin Gordon and Raheem Moster. Why do you think that these two are going to have a big-time value in drafts this year? Well, the thing with – so looking at the Broncos, thinking about Melvin Gordon, I mean, I love Javante Williams. He's great at breaking tackles. And I still want to draft Javante Williams. You know, the Broncos traded up to get him. They clearly love him. But right now, from all reports are, is Melvin Gordon's going to start the season as the starting running back for the Broncos. Now, this is like a short-term play targeting Melvin Gordon because you look at his schedule, and in week one, he plays the Giants. In the next and the week after that, he plays the Jaguars. Then they play the Jets. That's a solid start to the season in terms of matchups and you think about the way that nfl teams have used rookie running backs recently and they really eased in their rookie running backs like last year i looked at a few rookie running backs antonio gibson in week one he only had about 30 percent of the snaps so you really start to see coaches defer to the veteran there i'll also read a few others Sorry, Antonio Gibson, actually 25.71% of the snaps in week one. Cam Akers, 32.88% of the snaps. Jonathan Taylor, 35%. J.K. Dobbins, 39%. DeAndre Swift, 44%. So what does that tell you? It tells me that the Broncos will lean on Melvin Gordon at least early on. So what do you do? Melvin Gordon routinely falls past pick 100 in drafts. So you take him, but you pair him with a rookie running back who's not going to be used just yet, and, and he could make play a role later in the year. So what I would do is I draft Melvin Gordon, and I pair him with Trey Sermon of the 49ers because Trey Sermon, we talked about the 49ers' schedule, and we all know about how running back friendly Kyle Shanahan's scheme is. Sermon will make an impact at some point. So you use Gordon early on while he's – while Javante Williams is finding his legs, then you try to trade Melvin Gordon after those early season strong matchups and maybe get a wide receiver or something or address another need on your roster. Because at some point, Javante Williams will take over. He's The team loves him. Uh, he's a better runner at this stage than Melvin Gordon. You could also see Melvin Gordon get traded to a running back needy team. 
So that's why I like Gordon is he goes super late and you can use him early on by the same uh, strategy. Let's say you took Javante Williams and he's not getting used early on. Like I mentioned, well, instead of pairing him with Trey Sermon, you could pair him with Raheem Mostert of the 49ers because you have to think while Mostert is healthy, he's going to be the early down runner, at least in the early going in the early stages of, this, of the season. And we know Mostert is a explo- is an explosive runner, and we've seen him just take make some big plays, take it to the house. And look who he plays in week one, the Detroit Lions, which project as the one of the very worst run defenses in the NFL. So it's just a good idea to get off to that hot start. You could fire up Mostert as the flex. And I'm not saying just to target them as, say, you're running back two. I'm saying to use them as as more of a flex and pair them with one of these rookies who will likely get eased in. You can even pair them with, let's say you took Mostert, you can grab Michael Carter of the Jets, who could see his role increase later on. Or you can you can fire you could target someone like AJ Dillon in that way. Maybe AJ Dillon, you never know if it, Aaron Jones misses time and then he can replace Mostert after. It's just these are early season plays in Mostert and Gore and Melvin Gordon. Yeah. With the theme of the show, you really want to take advantage of those early season matchups because you want a fast start and you don't want to lag from your competition with these, you know, injury wise. Like if you like Saquon, for example, has an early training camp injury, who knows if it's going to affect his week one status, but even if he plays or not, it seems that he won't be 100%. So you're already starting behind everybody else. Now, you've talked a lot about the strength of schedule. Do you want to go on more with that and yes. uh, explain maybe about what you have planned for the fantasyjones.com? Sure. So looking at the strength of schedule, like when I looked more closely at this, it really put me off on on even more players who we haven't gotten into yet. And one of them I'm going to talk about is Josh Jacobs of the Raiders. So he's still the lead back in Vegas and they like to run the ball. They like his talent. I know Kenyon Drake's there, but I mentioned how Kenyon Drake is just taking over uh, Devonte Booker's role basically, because Booker was used a, mo- a lot more than people think. Um, but the problem is they don't use Josh Jacobs in the passing game. So he's really dependent on the Raiders being playing in closer games or games with the lead, which are what we call favorable game scripts. Well, let's take a look. Look who the Raiders play week one against Baltimore. Nasty defense. Baltimore is likely winning that game. Then they play the Steelers. Nasty defense. It's going to be tough sledding for Jacobs. Then they play the Dolphins. Another good defense. Then they play the Chargers. Chargers just hired Brandon Staley. Their defense is going to be improved. They're getting Derwin James back. That's a tough matchup. Then they play the Bears. Another good defense. Guess who they play after that? Well, the Broncos. Doesn't get any easier. The Broncos are getting Von Miller back, and they drafted Patrick Sertain, and they signed Kyle Fuller. Vic Fangio always has them boys playing at a high level. And now he has an actually stacked defense. That's another tough matchup. Then he plays the Eagles. And I know the Eagles, there's a lot of criticisms around their defense. But even if we don't 
assume they improve, which I do. I think they're going to be better, a better defense than they were last year. They were still good against the run last season. So that's still a tough matchup for Jacobs. So that gives you seven games all the way to his bye where he's just in tough matchups and games where the Raiders are likely going to be playing from behind. So what you could do is just forget about drafting Jacobs. Let whoever takes him get frustrated with his slow start. Then at his buy, try to put in a buy low offer because right after the buy, he plays the Giants, plays the Chiefs whose run D isn't that good. And he plays the Bengals whose run D isn't very good at all. So you can take advantage there. This is all about the game theory. You have to think about what your competitors are going to be thinking when their player is struggling. So you want to get off to a good start. I mentioned the Ravens. A lot of people are worried about J.K. Dobbins because he doesn't get used in the passing game. I talked about their matchups. They play Vegas. They play the Chiefs, who it's going to be high scoring. Then they play the Lions. Dobbins is going to run wild early on. What's going to happen after week three when he had gotten off to that strong start? Well, his perceived value is going to be higher. So either you could try to sell high and trade him or... You'll be reaping the rewards of likely having won at least two of your first three matchups because Dobbins had such a great start. So you just have to pay attention to these early schedules, especially with the running backs who don't catch passes, because those are the types that they really need to be playing in close games in order for them to provide value to you. Another thing you have to think about is uh, the point spread. And you have to check to see who's favored. And the Bucks, for example, they're favored in almost all of their games this season. What does that mean? It means their running backs are going to have opportunities to put up production because they'll be playing with the lead and the Bucks will be running out the clock in the fourth quarter. So that makes players like Ronald Jones and Leonard Fournette appealing, even though they're in a committee. They're still in a high-scoring offense. And they're going to be on a team that's often playing with the lead. So strength of schedule, I find, is an underrated part of the season. Now, I know the criticism is defenses change year over year. We can't really fully project them, which is true. But you sort of have a sense on who's going to be a bad defense. Like, don't tell me you don't tell me you think the Houston Texans are going to have a surprising defense. They're going to absolutely stink. Okay, don't tell me the Lions are going to have a good defense. They won't. You can project that. So it's still it's still helpful to look at this, especially in the early season matchups. Moving on to the fantasy Jones, you got to look out because we're going to post a spreadsheet of the schedules using shout out to Sharp Football. They have a great tool for strength of schedule. You can look at, you know, uh, toughest pass defenses. You can look at. Uh, defenses that allow the most explosive pass plays. You can also look at a blend, which combines both of those. So it's just a great tool. And what I did is I put together everyone's strength of schedule, looking at pass blend, and I color-coded it green, yellow, or red to see if it's a plus matchup or if it's a tough matchup. I also did that with the running game. What I also did, what you're also going to find on the site is uh, – you might not believe this, but you could find on sports books the spreads for every week of the season right now. Like you can see what the spread is in a matchup in week four. I know obviously things could change. Uh, there could be injuries, 
but it's still something to look at. It's still another piece of information at your disposal. And what I did is you'll see the spreads for every week. So you could see, hey, whoa, the Ravens have a great start to the year. Dobbins is going to have some uh, opportunities to get more carries than usual because the Ravens will be likely playing with the lead. You'll also see that after uh, the Broncos buy, they have a ton of awesome matchups. They play the Lions. They play the Bengals. They play the Raiders. Three defenses that are very likely to struggle. So that running game for the Broncos is going to be very appealing. So these are all things to look out for on the site. Strength of schedule is important. That's the theme of today. Make sure to factor that in when using it. Now, one more thing. I'm not going to say that because, you know, the, let's say, for example, Zeke and the Cowboys play that nasty Bucks defense week one, let me pass on Zeke and pass on CeeDee Lamb. No, what I'm saying is that you can use it as a tiebreaker when you're deciding between two players. Let's say you're deciding between C.D. Lamb and Justin Jefferson. Well, Justin Jefferson plays the Bengals and Cardinals the first two weeks. C.D. Lamb plays the Bucks and the Chargers. That could give you a tiebreaker. Hey, okay, I prefer Jefferson. So make sure to keep strength of schedule in mind in your process. Great points as always, Frank. It's a very important thing to take uh, strength of schedule in. Obviously, it changes throughout the year. But it's something, like you said, that can be projected now where you can project roughly that this might be even even if it's not completely precise, you know that they might be a top 10 terrible defense or, you know, they, you know exactly. that there's going to be some there's obviously free agent moves and unexpected players that are coming into new teams from undrafted players. It's it's always fluctuating. But to get a base Go to Fantasy Jones. They're going to take care of you there. Just quickly go on the website. Check out the ranks that are going to be updated. Check out the strength of schedule. And there's definitely going to be more to come. Frank, great, great insight as usual. And did you do any shutouts today? I think there was a one. Shout out to Sharp Football. It was Warren Sharp. So the, that's the handle. It's at Sharp Football for his Awesome work with strength of schedules and shout out to uh, Drew. He just goes by Drew O on Twitter, but uh, his uh, his handle is at DF Bean Counter and he's really good with analytics. You could check him out. Shout, shout out to both of them. Thanks all for your great work. Yeah, Frank, and we will be back next week. All right. Take care, folks. Take care. Thank you for tuning in to the Fantasy Jones podcast. Keep up with the Fantasy Jones on Twitter, Instagram, and our website, thefantasyjones.com.